Excellent. Well, today we have got the honor of having a, a guest speaker, a friend of ours, Pastor Chris Dow, all the way from Tulsa and Oklahoma. Just beside where uh, Blake is from in Oklahoma. So we've got two Oklahomans in the room today, eh? One leading us in worship and one preaching, which is great. And uh, it's called the, the Sooner Country. The Sooner Country. So, uh, you know what, I got to meet Pastor Chris back in April uh, when uh, I was over there with Blake and my son Levi. We were at a, the Assemblies of God conference, the uh, Oklahoma State Conference, and we got to meet and connect and kind of touch base. And he, he was being over here this week ministering to our, our CCI pastors, our Assemblies of God pastors, and um, speaking to them and spending time with them throughout the week. And so we've got the honor of having him here today uh, from Christian Chapel Church uh, in Tulsa to to preach and bring the word to us. So I just want to really encourage, I said to him uh, just earlier on, I said, this is a great congregation to preach to. I'm just letting you know that. Sometimes they have got, uh, they've got a great preacher who preaches here every now and again. And then they've got me. Now I'm joking. Um, but, uh, but I said, it's a great congregation to preach to. Amen. They're always open and, and, and uh, responsive and taking notes and... <laughs> Don't get carried away. Okay, we won't raise the expectation too much. But, um, you know, it's just such a great honor. Hey, I see Liam and Bethy are here with their brand new baby. So good to see you. Hey, great to see you. It suits you, Liam. That's great. <laughs> Excellent. It's great to have you. So would you join me in giving Pastor Chris Dow a massive round of applause as he comes and joins us and speaks today. Excellent. Hey, good morning. Thanks, Pastor Sean. I got to hang out with Pastor Sean and Jill uh, a little bit Friday and then a little bit last night with all the boys. So uh, Levi and Liam and Isaac and Brandon, and I'm still trying to convince Brandon that we can be friends, but he's not quite sure yet. I uh, don't know why. So um, this is my first time in, uh, I've been saying Ireland, uh, but somebody corrected me the other day and told me it's Arland. So you don't, don't pronounce the I, is that correct? Yeah, okay, so uh, having fun in Ireland and uh, really enjoying it, having a lot of, just seeing some beautiful places. In Oklahoma, um, by this time of year, everything's brown, so it's, it's very strange to see green grass in November. Like, we don't have anything that's still alive in November. Everything, everything has died. Um, also, I think I've seen more rain this week uh, than I probably have in the last two months back at home, so it's, it's been fun, just a, a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, one of the differences I've noticed it, traveling in, in Europe, in, uh, in Ireland, is the difference. Uh, you know, back home, four hours is nothing. Like, that's just you jump in the car, you drive four hours in a day, you do what you need to do, and you, you drive back. Uh, but if something is 150 years old, it's really, really old in Oklahoma. Like, that is ancient history in Oklahoma. Um, and the other day, Blake and I, uh, we went and visited a church, and they let us climb up a tower that was from the 1100s which was just, just wild. And so it's, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, I also think I've seen more cemeteries this week than I have just everywhere you look, there's a cemetery, which actually kind of ties in with what we're, what we're going to talk about this morning. So uh, we're going to preach from John chapter 11, if you have your Bible, the story of Lazarus. I'm so grateful to, to Sean and Jillian for the, the chance just to, to be here and hang out with you guys and, and share a little bit with you. So um, a couple years ago, uh, I've been at, at the church I'm at for 18 years. Uh, my wife and I moved there in 2005. It was a, an established church that we came in to join the staff of. We became the lead pastor about 10 years ago. 
Um, but maybe, I think it was 2021, 2022, we preached through the story of Lazarus on Sundays at Christian Chapel. And so you can, you can look if you have your Bible with you. It's not a real long story, uh, but it took us about 16 weeks to get through the story of Lazarus. And the reason it took so long is the story of Lazarus is really a microcosm of the gospel. Like It tells you almost everything you need to know about who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and why it makes a difference in our life. Now, I don't have 16 weeks today, uh, so we're just going to focus on one little portion of the story of Lazarus. Um, if you're unfamiliar with it, Lazarus was a, was a friend of Jesus. His, he and his sisters, Mary and Martha, knew Jesus well. They had welcomed him into their home. Lazarus gets sick. They send word to Jesus that his friend is sick. Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. And then Jesus stays where he is a couple more days, and Lazarus dies. When Jesus shows up, Mary and Martha are, are a little put off, and they tell Jesus, if you'd come here earlier, our brother wouldn't have died. Uh, but they say, even now, we know the Lord will do whatever you ask. And so Jesus tells them, I'm the resurrection and the life, right? And, and those who believe in me will live even though they die. And, and it's this first statement we start to get of Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than a prophet. There's this, this eternal aspect to what he does. And so then Jesus tells them, take me to the place where you've buried him. And it's this reminder of Jesus always wants to go right to the point of our pain, right? He's not scared by the mess of your life. He's not, not afraid to really get there in the dirt with you. And then where we're going to pick up the story is when they've come to the, the cemetery and he's standing outside the tomb and he begins to give a couple commands. We're going to see three things this morning. One, that Jesus calls us by name. Jesus calls us into, into action. And Jesus calls us to complete and total freedom. Okay, so John chapter 11, if you have it, we'll start in verse 38. We'll just read through verse 44. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So a couple things, again, like we, we don't have time, but I can't help it because it was there. So uh, the first thing you see, Jesus shows up at the cemetery and tells him, move the stone. And Martha has a better idea, right? And so, so this isn't, you won't see this anywhere, but just kind of file it away in your mind. Don't make a habit of telling Jesus what he can and can't do, right? When God shows up in your life, and he says, I'm here to bring freedom. I'm here to bring resurrection. I'm here to reveal your future. I'm here to take away that fear. I'm here to take away that anxiety. I'm here to drive out the depression. Sometimes our response is like, Martha, that sounds like a good idea, but let me tell you why it's not going to happen. Right? And Martha, she sets herself up of like, Jesus, I, I understand. I've already acknowledged God will do whatever you ask. And yet today, Jesus, I just need you to understand Lazarus stinks. He's been dead a long time. And if we roll that stone away, we're all going to smell what he's been doing in there. He's been rotting. He's been decaying. And yet Jesus tells him, no, 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 you've just got to roll away the stone. Right? And, and so then apparently there's some group of people who come and they roll away this large stone. 
again, pointing us to this idea of when Jesus comes to bring life, sometimes we're going to be the ones called out of the grave, and sometimes we're going to be the ones rolling away the stones so other people can hear his voice. When you guys move into this new building, it's an element of rolling away stones, right? You're announcing this is a place of resurrection. This is a place of life. You're establishing yourself in the community in a permanent way where others know there's something that happens there. And what happens there is not people coming and being impressed by you. It's not people coming and getting five tips to make their life a little bit better. What happens is they show up, you're rolling away stones, you're making welcoming environments, and they're hearing Jesus call their name. And they're hearing Jesus call them to freedom. Right? And, and then where we get into today is, is this idea of Jesus knows our name. So Jesus shows up in the cemetery, they've rolled away the stone, and his first command is, Lazarus, come out. And so we have to understand Jesus knows my name and Jesus calls me by my name, right? Because here's, here's what you have to understand. When Jesus shows up in a cemetery, he has to personalize his command. If Jesus had come to the cemetery that day and told them, roll away the stone and simply said, come out, everybody comes out. All the dead are raised, right? And, and so he has to personalize the command of, Lazarus, come out. Now, we sometimes read that as one command, that Lazarus comes to life when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. But Lazarus comes to life when Jesus calls his name. And it's in that moment when Lazarus's name is spoken that something happens in a supernatural way. And in a moment, breath returns to Lazarus's body. In a moment, his blood begins to flow as his heart begins to pump. His lungs swell with air. His muscles begin to fire. There's this moment of confusion of, I was not here, and now I am here, right? And it's dark, and it's cold, and he's alone. But Lazarus, life did not come with the command to come out. Life came when Jesus called him by name, right? And so what we're reminding ourselves of this morning is Jesus still calls us by name. He still knows exactly who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows the problems that you're facing, and he has a plan to lead you out of them. But you have to be convinced. One of the things that sets Christianity apart from every religion in the world is this idea that you can have a personal and powerful relationship with God. And the reason we know we can hear his voice is because he knows our name. The scriptures tell us he doesn't just know our name. He knows where we live. He knows what we're facing. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows every single thing about us. And so when you begin to understand God knows my name, it should begin to fill you with hope, with joy, with this idea of I can move forward. Because we know what it's like to be on the other side of that. You know what it's like when people don't know your name. Right? You know what it's like to live in environments where you're just, hey, buddy, Hey, girl, I, I, don't, I don't know what your, what your uh, words you use when you don't know somebody are, but, but at home, it's a lot of like, hey, friend, hey, how are you? You know, like, I'll call you friend, even though I, I, have, I have no idea what your name is, right? Just we'll try, to, we'll try to cover it up that way. And yet what we see is Jesus is not only calling Lazarus to life, but he's affirming the dignity of Lazarus as a person. And so today, the reason you matter is not because of what you've done. It's not because of what job you have or what education you've achieved. The reason you matter is because God knows your name. And if the creator knows your name, then your life is of infinite worth. At, at home, we, um, our church runs a, a camp every summer, and we do it for, for kids in foster care. So these are children who uh, the government has had to take them out of their homes. The qualifications for coming to the camp are, are really pretty sad. You have, in some way, you've been uh, abused, abandoned, 
or neglected. And so there are children there who've suffered extreme trauma, children, uh, some of them just mom and dad have both died and there's no one else to care for them. And so they've been taken out of their homes by our government, by our social services, and then they're placed in foster families who are trying to help them until they can either reunite with mom or dad or can be brought into an adoptive home. And so every summer we host about 70 kids who are in the foster care system from 7 to 11 years old. And we staff it with volunteers from our church. There's about 120 of us who go out. We've got a, a camp out in the country that we rent out for the week, and we welcome them in. And one of, one of the biggest things that we do, it's called Royal Family Kids Camp. And so we're trying to teach them, you are royalty and you are part of God's family. But one of the challenges that we noticed when we first started doing that is these kids have been through so much trauma, and they've been through so many different systems, and many of them, they're changing schools two and three and four and five times a year as they're moved from foster home to foster home, that many of them feel as if everywhere they go, nobody actually knows who they are. So one of the primary emphasis we have at Royal Family Kids Camp is every child is called by their name all week long. So the kids wear name tags a whole week so that we can know their name and we can say it. When they show up at camp, though, we kind of set the tone for them. So we rent out these big charter buses, and there's one full of boys, and there's one full of girls. And then as they drive into camp, I think we have a picture of it that we can show you. So as they drive into camp, this is, this is what they're experiencing. So their counselors are out here. Their counselors have written their names on these big poster boards. And then underneath it, they've attached a scripture to that name. And they, sometimes we know the meaning of the name, and honestly, sometimes we just make one up, right? Because there's some kids, like, the, the book has no meaning. And so it's like, you know what your name means? Mighty warrior. That's what it is. Uh, daughter of God. Chosen one. And so we're telling them, like, we see you, we know you, and we're glad that you're here. And so it kind of sets the camp off on this right foot of, hey, here, I'm a person of value, because this person knows my name. And then when they go into their room, their little cabin they stay in for the week, they find their bed and it's decorated with their name on it. And every activity they do, their name is attached to it. And so over and over again, all week long, we're trying to help them understand, we know your name. And then ultimately, by the end of the week, we're hoping they understand, and God knows your name. Right? And that's what we see in the story of Lazarus, because the, the, the other side of that is some of us live in a space where we identify more with these campers than we do with Lazarus, where we feel as if nobody knows our name. We're anonymous, we're overlooked, we're lonely, we're unseen. And if you believe those lies long enough, they seep way down deep into your soul. And they cause all kinds of trauma and all kinds of heartache. But when you know that God knows your name, God calls you by name, it should fill you with a holy confidence that you can do whatever God has called you to do. And so, so for me, coming to, to Dublin this week, I knew before I came, nobody here is going to know me. Right Before I landed in Dublin, Pastor Sean is the only person in Dublin I had ever met in my life that I know of. And so you land, and, and we were invited to speak at this pastor's conference, me and a, another friend of mine who's preaching in another church today, and, and I showed up knowing nobody here is going to know me. They don't know uh, if, if this is going to be good or a waste of their time. They don't have any idea. And so there was a time in my life where that would have created a lot of insecurity, and I probably would have declined the invitation. But several years ago, I got invited to speak. Uh, we have a, a large Christian university in my hometown. And so I got invited to speak in one of their chapel services, and I was very excited for it. And uh, I went, and I started looking through the sermon archive of all the people who'd been invited to speak before me. And it was a terrible idea, <laughs> because they were really well-known men and women, they were incredibly successful. They'd done amazing things for God. In fact, I think two days before I went to speak at that chapel, I was at my dentist. 
And my dentist is a guy who goes to my church, and so he was asking me, he said, hey, I heard you're going to go preach at Oral Roberts uh, University. I said, yeah, I'm really excited. He said, you know, the last time I went to a chapel service at ORU, Reinhard Bonnke was the speaker. (laughs) I don't know if you know who Reinhard Bonnke is or not, but he's only one of the most well-known evangelists that the world has ever seen. I mean, Reinhard Bonnke, he led crusades in Africa where six million people showed up to hear him preach. And so I I had this moment of incredible fear and insecurity of, man, I don't fit here. In in the U.S., we have this show, children's show called Sesame Street. Sesame Street made its way over. So on Sesame Street, they they play this game called One of These Things is Not Like the Other. There's a little song that goes with it of one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. And as I read through that sermon archive, I identified with that song of I'm the thing that doesn't belong. I'm the one that's not like the others. And yet when you know God has called your name, you also know it's God who's given you your assignments. So you can step into any season, any situation, any place with a, not a, a, a arrogance, not with any form of, of kind of pride, but you can just walk in with a holy confidence, knowing If the Lord has called my name and the Lord has given me his assignment, then I just get to walk into the space and share the good news with other people that, hey, God knows your name, and God knows your name, and God knows your name, and God knows your name. And it becomes this really joyful experience of knowing my life is partnering with the Holy Spirit. And I get the privilege of putting words to the longings that God has already placed in the hearts of others so that they too can learn the good news that Jesus calls them by name. And so when you get that kind of holy confidence, it changes the way you walk. Now, now for Lazarus, there's, again, I said two commands. There's Lazarus, and then there's come out. And so we understand that Jesus doesn't just call us by name and call us to life, but Jesus also calls us to action. And so when he shows up, remember what he told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And so the command of Lazarus brought resurrection. And the command of come out is going to bring Lazarus to life. So we've got to understand a little bit of this idea that Jesus calls us to action is when Jesus calls you to life, he's not going to leave you where you are. So if you've said yes to Jesus, your life should look different now than it did before you said yes to Jesus. You should have to move into this new life. And you walk with him every day, and you discover new things, and it changes your mindset, and it changes your relationships, and it sets you free from everything that's held on to you before. Jesus didn't come just to call Lazarus to life and leave him in the tomb. He called to call him to life and to call him out. And so so we've got to understand, though, this, this call for Lazarus to come out is not an easy call. And sometimes when Jesus calls us to action, it's going to be a little bit difficult. It's going to be a little bit awkward. So I I don't know how much reading you've done about uh, first century Jewish burial practices. Um, Anybody maybe this week as part of it? No? No? Okay. Uh, So so the way way it would work is Lazarus is is buried in a cave, and then they've rolled the stone away. Now, it's probably a, a common tomb, so there are many people who are buried in it. What they would do is they would go in these caves, and they would cut out little shelves in the side. And so you might be buried down here, and your father might be buried here, and your wife might be buried here. And they were family tombs where lots of people were buried in. Now, in addition to that, Lazarus, when he died, he would have been wrapped in linens. And so they would have taken his legs, put them closely together, and they would have bound him really, really tight with a a round or two of linen. And then they shoved some spices in there to try to 
defeat the aroma of death that was coming, and then they would wrap him with more linens. And then they would come up, and they would wrap each arm tightly to his side. And so from, from his feet all the way to his shoulders, he is completely bound. And then when they got to the head, they would wrap it until it was sometimes two to three times the normal size, put that amount. And so really what they're trying to do with all of this wrapping is just not traumatize anyone who has to come into the tomb later, right? They're, they're providing a safe space for the body to decay. Now, with that in mind, picture Lazarus, tightly bound up, laid on a shelf in a cave, and suddenly, in a moment, he's come to life. And he's trying to figure out what is going on and how he got there. He can't see anything. He can probably smell himself, but he doesn't know. And all he hears is a familiar voice saying, come out. And when Jesus calls him out, what we see in the story is, as far as we know, no one goes into the tomb, which would have been very, very common with Jewish practices. Cemeteries were unclean places. Dead people were unclean. It would, have, it would have kind of removed them from their community experience for maybe up to a week. And so Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and no one comes in to help him. And so, so the picture then that, that we're being given in Luke is Lazarus is there, and he's bound up, and he can't see, and somehow he has to roll himself off of that shelf. And you know, he's, it's probably not a graceful movement. Like, it's probably a roll and a thud. And then from the ground, he has to figure out how to get himself up. And all he knows is maybe there's a little sense of light, but he knows where he's heard the voice, and he has to get over there. And so, so on some level, then, he finally gets himself upright, and he's got some kind of little, like, shuffle where he gets all the way to the door of the tomb. But what I love about it is it's this picture for us, because sometimes you, you have believed the lie that when you say yes to Jesus, your life is going to instantly, finally, and perfectly uh, be made completely whole. Now, your soul is. That's how it works. You are fully and finally a son or a daughter of God. There is nothing else left to be done, to be achieved. You just stand in that new identity. But as you walk into your new life, sometimes you're going to stumble and fall. You're not always going to get it right. It's going to feel a little awkward at first. Nobody, when they first say yes to Jesus, hits the ground running. We always have this moment of, I know things are different, and I know I need to get from here to there, but I'm just going to do my best. right? And so we see this in our lives. We see it in Lazarus' life, and he just gets himself over there. As he gets himself over there, it's this picture again of, hey, when Jesus calls us to life, our obedience matters more than our feelings. So Jesus, Jesus tells Lazarus something that's very difficult. He tells him, come out. It would have been easier if Jesus said, Lazarus, stay there, and we'll send some people to bring you out. But instead, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus has to make these steps. He has to make this movement even though it's not difficult, or even though it is very difficult for him. And for you and I, when Jesus calls us out, there are going to be some times that it's very difficult. Because when Jesus calls you to new life, he's calling you out of the place of death. And in the place of death, you had some relationships. And in the place of death, you had some activities. You might have had some addictions. In the place of death, you had a long history of who you used to be and what you used to do. And some of those things you loved and some of those things you enjoyed. But when Jesus says, come out, it means you're going to leave these things behind. And sometimes it's going to be hard. He's going to call you into new life. And sometimes it's going to be challenging. 
It's going to require gifts of faith. It's going to require confidence that the same God who called you to life has a purpose and a plan for you. And when you come out, your obedience is what matters. Jesus is not waiting for you to do it perfectly. He's just waiting for you to do it, to just get started on the process and just get moving in the direction that he's leading you. And so so Lazarus, he makes his way out. And it's a reminder to us that, that Lazarus really had two options. He could have obeyed Jesus, which he did, or he could have chosen to be alive but stay in the grave. And see, and I, th- I think this is where sometimes some Christians find themselves. Of Jesus has called them to life, but they feel as if their next steps are too difficult. And they choose to reside in the grave. And in the grave, they're still a little bit bound up. In the grave, they're still not free to do everything that God has called them to do. But the grave feels safe, the grave feels secure, and the grave, as long as they stay there, they're not going to be embarrassed. They're not going to have hard conversations. They're not going to fail. But Jesus is saying, hey, you just, you need to come out. You've got to come out. And so we're just reminding ourselves again this morning, Jesus has not only called me by name and brought me to life, but he's called me to take action and to walk into that life. So Lazarus, he gets himself to the door. And once he gets himself to the door, the the picture seems to be that he just kind of stops and he stays there. And then Jesus gives them this command. It says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so it's a reminder, we're not just called to action, but we're actually called to freedom. See, Jesus had a plan for Lazarus and his plan was that Lazarus would return to his home. And Lazarus would re-engage in his relationships. And Lazarus would be an eternal story of the grace, the mercy, and the power of God. Lazarus is the one who kind of sets the stage for Jesus actually having power over the grave. Lazarus is the precursor to the resurrection of Jesus himself. And so now Lazarus, every day he goes to work, he's a sign and symbol of the resurrection power of Jesus. When Lazarus, can you imagine the first worship service Lazarus is engaged in when he comes out of the tomb? He is the most passionate worshiper there. When Lazarus walks through town, everybody looks at him and thinks, that's Lazarus. Do you know Lazarus' story? They can't wait. Lazarus' story becomes all of their story. And they can't wait. As you keep reading through Luke 11, it says many people place their faith in Jesus because of Lazarus' miracle. And so what it means is Jesus' plan was not just to call Lazarus by name and return him to life. It wasn't just to call him out of the grave, but it was to use his life as a symbol to the world of the transforming power of Christ. But to do that, Lazarus had to get out of the grave. And more importantly than that, He had to get out of those grave clothes. And so again, the the picture that's being given to us is when Jesus calls us into freedom, there are going to be some parts of our old life that are still hanging on to us. There's going to be some old behaviors. There are going to be some old ways of thought. There's going to be some old ways of speech. There are going to be some old ways you used to interact in your marriage. There are going to be some things that, that you say, well, that's just how we do it here. And Jesus is trying to help you understand that's not how we do it anymore. That he is calling you not only into life, but he's calling you out of every sinful cultural custom and practice that still holds on to you. He's calling you out of every addiction and every sin that still tries to draw you back. And so his message is not that he wants Lazarus to be some kind of uh, mummified example of his power, but he wants Lazarus to walk in life. And for Lazarus to walk in life, he's going to need some other believers to gather around him and start to get those grave clothes off of him. Now, Now, the call to others 
is a significant call because, again, Jewish people, they don't, they don't touch dead people. And even though Lazarus isn't dead anymore, he's still wrapped in the clothes of death. And he's been wrapped up for four days. And by four days, the, you know, his, his body has started to decay and decompose. And you, can, you can do your own reading on how that happens, but it's gross, and there would have been things that oozed into those linens. And so the, the smell, Martha was right, would have been awful. And now Jesus is calling other believers to go engage in the mess so that Lazarus can be free. And so it requires two things. It requires, one, vulnerability on Lazarus's part, to allow others to come close to him and remove those clothes off of him. And two, it requires faith and confidence on behalf of others to move towards a very messy situation. When I was, when I was in college, I, I got to play on our, our basketball team at our, our little school that I went to. And so we had a coach who had some, uh, some old school mentalities about how you made players tough. And so he would do different things. We would have, he called them camel practices, where we wouldn't get any water for the two hours we were in there. Um, we had practices where he wouldn't turn on the lights in the gym. We would only get the, the light coming in through the window because he would tell us we weren't worth the price of electricity. Um, we had practices where uh, the ball wasn't allowed to hit the ground or you had to run, and it was basketball where the ball hits the ground all the time, right? Uh, but one of his favorite tricks to use on us is we had two sets of practice gear. And so a jersey and shorts, and we would wear them for practice. And then we would come up, and there was a large bin uh, in our shower area. And all, all 12 or 15 of us, we would throw our old, stinky, sweaty practice gear into that big bin. And then usually, we had a manager who would wash it, and it would be back in our locker the next day. But occasionally, they would wait until we'd worn both sets, then they'd wash them and put both sets back in. Well, if, if we had lost a couple games or if our coach was particularly upset with us, uh, what he would do is he would tell the managers, hey, just don't wash them. And so we'd put day one in there and they'd sit and they would all stew. And then we'd come in the next day and we'd put day two in there and it would sit and it would stew. And then on day three, we would come in for practice and we would go to our lockers and we would see our, our practice gear is not there. And we knew what was about to happen. What was about to happen was our coach would come in, and he would go back in the shower area, and he would bring out this big, like, 50-gallon bin, and he would dump it in the middle of the floor, and he would tell us, you have two minutes to find your gear and get on the court. And so then we had to dig through the mess, and you're trying to find your numbered jersey and your numbered shorts, and then you put them on, and, and they smelled terrible. Right? Every time I read the story of Lazarus, this is what I think of. My mind goes right back to it. And, and the first smell wasn't the worst. The worst smell was as we started practicing. Because as you start practicing, your body heats up, which heats up the bacteria that's residing in your jersey. And then that begins to release. And it's bad enough that you stink, but this guy always stinks worse, and that guy always stinks worse. And 15 of us combined together, just the whole gym had a bad smell to it. And so it's always made me a little sympathetic to the people Jesus makes go take the clothes off of Lazarus, because it's not a job I would have volunteered for. My wife's a nurse. I would have volunteered her, right? I would have said, like, Angie, this is, this is really what you're equipped for. Um, you know, get a mask, get a gloves, and, and go do it. And yet, in Lazarus' story, what we see is we're not told who, but someone is willing to make that step, to get their hands dirty, to enter into the mess so that Lazarus can be free. And so what, what John is teaching us about the power and the authority of Jesus is he calls us into resurrection, he calls us into life, but he doesn't just do it for us individually. 
he also calls us to help others walk in that resurrection and in that life. And getting the grave clothes off of someone else can be a very difficult process. It can be a very messy process because you're entering in sometimes to a life that has been affected by sin for decades on end. Right? Sometimes you're entering into relationships where people are first-generation Christians in their family, and they've just always done certain things and thought certain things and behaved in certain ways, and now you get the, the process by the power of the Holy Spirit to help them pull those grave clothes off. And as you pull those grave clothes off, you're trying to preserve their dignity. As you pull those grave clothes off, you're not trying to heap on shame or guilt or condemnation. Right? The, the reason they have grave clothes is because they were dead. They weren't walking with Jesus. So we can never expect people who don't walk with Jesus to act like Christians. And when they say yes to Jesus, there's going to be a process of discipleship. So really what the story of Lazarus is teaching us is the same thing that we're still learning today as followers of Jesus, that there is a moment of salvation and there's a lifelong process of being remade in the image of Christ. And it's always going to require that we plant ourselves in community, that we let others come to us and take the grave clothes off of us, and that we're willing to move towards others and take the grave clothes off of them. And so you just see this, this really beautiful picture. And then as far as we know, Lazarus just goes back to his life. But I've always wondered, and, and we don't get it in the Gospels, I've always wondered what happens the second time that Lazarus dies. You know, maybe he lives to be an old man. Maybe it's just a few short years after that. But when Lazarus is, is on his deathbed the second time, can you imagine the peace that he has of knowing, like, I'm, I'm going to be with the one who's already resurrected me? Lazarus has already had glimpses of the other side and what life will be like. And so now he faces it. And again, it's a reminder to us, when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to the resurrection and the life. We say yes to the one who tells us you will live even though you die. It's why we mourn differently. It's why we face death, death differently. It's why we have peace and hope in every situation and in every circumstance. And so, so this morning, it's just this, this great reminder to us of, hey, we're not going to stay in the grave, but we're going to kick the grave clothes off. We're going to leave the cemetery and we're going to walk into the new life that Jesus has for us. Do you want to stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. And then I'll let Pastor Sean close us out today. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we come to you today. We thank you that you are still the one who knows our name. You're still the one who comes and speaks words of life and hope and comfort to us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in the room or, or online with us that has not yet said yes to you, today, Lord, may they hear your voice calling them your son or your daughter. Jesus, as they hear you calling their name, may they walk into the new life you're inviting them into. Lord, as we walk into that new life, we want to leave all of our old dead ways of life behind us. We want to shed every addiction. We want to shed every experience of shame and guilt. We want to leave behind the depression and fear and anxiety. Lord, we want to walk into the new life that you're calling us to. So Jesus, we ask, will you not only firmly plant us in your kingdom, but Jesus, will you also firmly plant us in a community that will help us walk in the life you're calling us to? Will you help us to be people who receive the ministry of others and give that same life-giving ministry to our brothers and sisters? Lord, we want to be people of resurrection and life. And we want every day to be different because we've been called by name 
called into action and called into complete and lasting freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.